0: What is your favorite job you've ever had? Mine is right here, right now, with all of you guys at Movement Church. But my second favorite job was at a place called Family Video. Now, given that title, and if you're of a certain age, you probably guess that Family Video was a movie rental place. Anybody remember those? At its heyday, Blockbuster was the biggest one, like dominated everybody else. But Family Video was also there and they actually outlasted all the other movie rental places. What is a movie rental place? It's like if Netflix was a store. It's just like shelves and shelves of movies that you can borrow for a couple bucks for a couple of days. Now, I worked at Family Video from the year 2013 until I moved here to Las Cruces in late 2015. And so I was there during the height of streaming. And so the number one question people would always ask me is how does this store exist? And my answer was always the same. I have no idea, but I'm glad it does. That was my second favorite job because I love movies, and so free movies is a great perk to have at a job. I'm decent at customer service, so it really wasn't that hard of a job. And so I had a great time working at Family Video. But it was at Family Video that I first became passionate about picture quality about the difference between DVD and Blu-ray. Anybody else out there care about that? At this point, we probably, it's kind of a, a nonsense argument, like it doesn't matter that much because we don't even really use Blu-ray anymore. Everything is streaming. But the picture quality of streaming, it's 4K, it's HD, it's closer to the Blu-ray picture quality than it is to DVD. In fact, just the other day, my wife Cynthia and I were babysitting. And so we threw a DVD on for our daughter and the kids that we were watching. And as soon as we put it on, we both looked at each other and at the same time went, Ew. We reacted so strongly. We've, honestly, it seemed like something was broken. Like, is it really this bad? It's because we've been watching streaming, we've been watching 4K, like we've gotten used to a certain way of seeing things. And when we went back to that older technology, there was a noticeable difference. And that difference was the best way that I could explain my experience when I first got glasses. For the longest time in my life, I was fighting getting glasses. I knew deep down that I needed them, but I would say stuff like, you know what, I can see good enough. I don't really wanna go through all that hassle or the headache of going to get glasses. But finally, my wife wore me down and I gave in and I went and got glasses. And the difference was like night and day for me immediately. Like, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that I had seen every single day. I was like, is that really what that has always looked like? Like trees are not just this blurry green shape. Like you can see leaves individually on there. Like when I'm trying to get somewhere that I've never been to before and I'm following the directions on maps, like I can see the name of the street before I'm right up on it and have to slam on the brakes. And everyone who rode with me in a car before I got glasses I'm sure is like now thanking God that they're actually alive and survived. Uh, But it was just a noticeable difference for me right away. See, I didn't realize the extent to which there was a whole richer and more vivid world right in front of my eyes that I was just missing because I wasn't using the right tools. I think that same thing is at work with the picture quality discussion of DVD and Blu-ray. Back when we were watching DVD, we didn't notice that it was bad. We didn't think like, wow, this could be a lot better. We were like, wow, this looks really good. It wasn't until we had Blu-ray and we saw a whole new way that, wow, DVD actually wasn't that great. This is so clear. And it's not like we're thinking right now with our streaming or 4K or however we watch things now, we're not thinking like, you know what, in a few years, something's going to come along and we're going to see this in a whole new way. In each phase, we have no idea how a whole better way of seeing things could be unlocked by a slightly different experience. And I think this principle is at work in our actual lives. See, so many of us, I think, miss out on a deeper and better life simply because we aren't using the right tools. So many times, I know for me personally, I feel like life just flies right by me, like I'm skipping across the surface of life and and I can't fully grab hold of a moment before that moment is gone. It feels like I'm just jumping from one thing to the next rather than sinking down into the fullness of each day and experiencing the fullness of it. Can can anyone else relate to that? I think that a lot of us can because experts have actually found that on average, we are only fully present in the moment for two waking hours of each day, two hours. Let's say that we get eight hours of sleep. I know that's generous for a lot of us. It tends to be less than that, but let's just say eight hours of sleep a night. That means that if we're only fully present for two hours, Out of the day, that's 10% of each day that we are fully present to the moment. It's not a lot. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I don't imagine that when Jesus said that, life to the full, I don't think he was speaking about just two hours of each day, just 10% of each of our day that we're living life to the full. I think he had so much more in mind but so many things can get between us and doing what Jesus said, living life to the full. So many things can obstruct our vision of the vivid and full life that is right before our eyes. Sometimes for us, the challenge is in finding the right rhythm. We go from moment to moment without any intentionality. We bounce around each day. And by the time we get to the end of the day, we couldn't tell you actually what even happened. Sometimes for others of us, the challenge is just difficult circumstances. It's hard to enter into the goodness of life when life doesn't feel good. Maybe for you, you're going right now through a difficult situation. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a a scary diagnosis for your physical health or your mental health. Maybe it's just the uncertainty of not knowing where the money will come from to be able to make it by It's hard to enjoy the goodness of life when life just keeps throwing punch after punch and knocking us back. For others of us, the challenge is simply that we're just too busy, that we live in a much too hurried pace of life. We weren't intentional about creating our schedule and before we know it, our responsibilities have overtaken us. Our entire life just feels like one thing after another, and by the time we start on the next thing on our to-do list, we're already thinking about the thing that comes after that. For some of us, the good life evades us simply because we're too focused on the wrong things. We don't mean to spend that much time on TikTok, but it's so easy to just keep scrolling. We don't mean to play eight hours of video games, but it's so much fun. We tell ourselves, it's just going to be one more episode, and then we blink and it's 3am and we finished the whole series. We don't think that we have a phone addiction, but our screen time report tells quite a different story. Maybe for you, the challenge is in tending to the things that seem small. So many times we let ourselves off the hook by saying things like, you know, it's not that big a deal if I don't drink enough water today. It it doesn't matter that much if I don't get enough sleep. It's not the end of the world if I miss a day of praying. And before we know it, days turn into weeks. My point in bringing all this up isn't to shame anyone. I've gone through all of these. I'm probably guilty of a few of these right now. And so I don't bring any of this up to shame. My point is to show us that we all have room to improve, that we all have areas where what we are not seeing is keeping us from the good things that God has for us. As Pastor John Mark Comer put it, people in a rush don't have time to enter the goodness of the moment. And that's what I want for all of us, to be able to fully enter the goodness of the moment, to, as Jesus said, live life to the full. And I want that partly for you, just because to enter into the goodness of the moment is a good thing in life. But ultimately, the reason that Jesus wants us to live life to the fullest, the reason that we should enter into fully the goodness of the moment is for the sake of, of other people. See, we miss out on a lot of things when we hurry, but one of the most important things that we miss is what God wants to do through us. When we rush, we don't see all that Jesus has for us or what Jesus wants to accomplish with us. What we miss is the fact that to be fully present in the moment is to be fully open to the Spirit that rich, vivid life that's just in front of our eyes that we're missing out on. It's ultimately a life that is in full cooperation with God's Spirit. And so today, what I want to observe together is a positive test case from the pages of Scripture, a brief episode in the life of the apostles that I believe shows us what is possible in our lives when we are fully present to the moment and fully open to the Spirit. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter three, and we're going to read the first 11 verses together. If you're using an app on your phone or another device, and you want our, our words to sync up so it doesn't sound too weird, I'm going to be reading from the NLT translation. But for all of us, I want us to take a moment before we dive into this passage and to take special notice as we read through it together for allusions to vision or seeing or words like look or see. All throughout this passage, I think we'll find that there's a lot. So let's take special notice of that. Sound good? Let's do it. It says that Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed, and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Did you catch that? By my count, there were six uses of the word see or look in just 11 verses. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is trying to get us to understand, It's trying to get us to see what is going on. Peter and John in this moment are displaying what has been called holy noticing. Pastor Charles Stone defines holy noticing as this. It's noticing with a holy purpose, God and his handiwork, our relationships, and our inner world of thoughts and feelings. In this passage, we see Peter and John wholly noticing. We see them being fully present in the moment and fully open to the Spirit. And because of their ability to do that, a man's life was changed forever. And so what I want to do together today with the rest of the time that we have is to look at five things that we can observe in this passage that if we put them into practice in our own lives, they will help us begin noticing life in a deeper way and being used by God in whatever way he sees fit. And the first key to holy noticing is to stick to spiritual disciplines. Right away, one of the first things that we see in the very first verse, we see that Peter and John are doing exactly that. This whole episode only takes place because Peter and John are on their way to the temple to participate in the afternoon prayer. Right away, that's two absolutely vital spiritual disciplines, prayer and presence, otherwise known as community. Now, I know that as a pastor, I'm biased, and hearing a pastor say how important it is to attend church is about as basic as you can get and is borderline annoying, but I'm going to do it anyways. There really is something special about showing up. There's something remarkable about the rhythm of ritual, There's something freeing about being faithful. See, next month I turned 32, so I decided to do a little math. Who doesn't love math? And so today is actually my 1,664th Sunday on earth. And by my best estimate in my entire life, having grown up in church and then working in them as an adult, I've missed maybe 20 to 30 Sundays due to sickness or kidney stones or travel. But even if we round down, that's about 1,600 Sundays worth of gathering together with other apprentices of Jesus with the goal of growing weekly in my relationship with him. And that's a lot of Sundays. And I don't share that number with you in order to make someone else feel bad if your number isn't that high or to make you think, wow, Devin's really cool and he's really good at going to church. My point in sharing that is that I absolutely do not regret any of that time. God has used those Sundays to shape me and form me into the person that I am today. And I want to suggest that that's exactly what God wants to do in your life through practicing the spiritual disciplines. Whether it be community through church attendance, prayer, meditating on or studying scripture, celebration, fasting, Sabbath, simplicity, confessing, worship, whatever the spiritual discipline is, God wants to use them as tools to form you into the person that he created you to be. He wants to use those tools to slow you down and open your eyes to the beauty of the world that he created for us to exist in. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Much like Physical disciplines like exercising or eating healthy, it is not easy. It is a challenge. It is something that takes intentionality. It is something that takes effort. But also like those physical disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, the benefits far outweigh the costs. So some of you are probably thinking this sounds a lot like every sermon that Devin gives us. And those of you who are close to me know that if, I, if you let me, I can talk about spiritual formation and the spiritual disciplines for the next three hours, but I don't think that's what any of us want. So let me simply conclude this point by saying this. Nothing in my life has been more beneficial to me in my aim to become more like Jesus and to live the life that he created me to live than by being intentional about practicing the spiritual disciplines in every season of my life which leads us to our next key to holy noticing. Don't be swayed by your situation. See, every person in this story could have been swayed by their situation. It tells us in verse one that all of this takes place about three o'clock. I don't know about you guys, but I am absolutely not at my best at that time of day. I'm at my best you know, in the morning when I'm fresh and the Maxwell coffee beans are hitting just right. Or sometimes I can be at my best late at night if I hit a second wind. And there's a, usually if there's a deadline and I procrastinated, I hit that second wind and get going right away. But at three o'clock in the afternoon, I am crashing. I'm probably irritable. I'm tired. I'm ready to be done with the day. But it tells us that Peter and John at three o'clock in the afternoon are headed to a prayer meeting and are prepared to perform miracles by the power of God at a moment's notice. Their availability, despite their situation, is inspiring and it's convicting, but it's not nearly as inspiring or convicting as what we see as the, uh, what happens in the life of the unnamed man that they encounter. See, I think sometimes when we read Bible stories, we get super focused in on the details, like they're bullets on a page, and sometimes we tend to miss that these are real people that we're reading about. And so I want to focus in on the details, but to keep in mind that this man who was lame from birth is a real person. And so we're told that he was unable to walk since the day that he was born. That would be difficult even now. That is a difficult thing to go through. But think about how he had to go through that back then. There were no wheelchairs back then. There were no accessibility laws. And really, there wasn't a whole lot of consideration of what his experience would have been like from society at large. And yet we find that this man also had a rhythm, that this man had a ritual. It tells us that every day he was placed by the temple gate, which means also that every day he had to be taken back home from the temple gate. And this placement, I think, makes sense because presumably people who are going to temple are going to be more generous, more willing to give alms, give to the poor. Um, And so he would was probably thinking, you know, they're more likely to give to me something that's going to help me pay my bills. But I imagine that that routine carried with it a lot of hurt and pain for this man, a lot of rejection for him. I'm sure it was a lot of what Willie James Jennings has called a daily repetition of pain. I'm sure there were days where he came home with nowhere near enough money to provide for his financial needs. I'm sure... Every day, the looks of pity at best and contempt at worst that he had to endure from the religious took a toll on his emotions. And I'm sure above all else, simply the injustice of his reality was a challenge to his faith. And yet, he wasn't swayed by his situation. Day after day, week after week, year after year, he showed up in the hope that he would receive something that would help him. But imagine if he had given up. Imagine if he had been swayed by his situation. Imagine if that morning he woke up and his buddy showed up at his apartment and were like, "Hey man, you know, it's time to go. Let's let's come lift you up. We're going to take you down to the temple again today." And he said, "You know what, guys? Not today. I'm over it. This isn't working for me. I'm sick of the way that people look at me. I'm sick of just this entire situation. I'm going to stay at home today." If he had given up, he would have missed out on what God had for him. See, I believe the truth for all of us. I believe the truth that he learned that day is that God does some of his best work through some of our worst pain. The third key to holy noticing is to slow down enough to be interrupted. See, in this account, Peter and John, they were headed somewhere. They had things to do. They got the notification on their iPhone to head to the beautiful gate. Traffic is light. They headed down there um, and we aren't told that if they were intentional and they left early enough, because you know what, always be early. Um, we don't know if we, they left intentional, left some margin for a, an encounter like this, or maybe they were actually just running super late and you were like, you know what, this is more important. We're going to be even later. We aren't told either way. But what I think is safe to assume is that they were both in tune enough with the spirit to know that hurry is not a spiritual virtue. As Pastor Chris said a few weeks ago, love moves at the speed of another. That's what we see Peter and John doing here. They were unhurried and they were moving and living and aware enough to be interrupted and to flip that interruption on its head as a moment to let the reign of God break into the here and now. They saw this as a moment to move at the speed of this man and allow the supernatural healing power of God to break into an otherwise normal day. See, I think this is one of the biggest challenges that we face in our attempt to wholly notice. See, I think a lot of times we tend to see interruptions as inconveniences rather than opportunities. We have our schedules, we have our to-do lists, and anything that interferes with those That's gonna incur our wrath. We don't like to be interrupted. We get angry at interruptions. But what if we began to take a different approach? What if we did what John Ortberg says? What if we cultivated patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait? What if we started doing practical things throughout the week where we intentionally put our situations where we had to slow down? This could look like a lot of different things in your life. It could look like intentionally choosing the slow lane, either in the grocery store or in traffic. It could look like being present in the moment, taking a break in the moment throughout our day to just take a few deep breaths and be aware of what we're going through. It could look like a lot of different things. But what if we actually sought out opportunities to be interrupted? We put ourselves in a situation Where we could be interrupted to leave a little bit early to to make room for encounters like the one that we see peter and john go through could it be that god would use those intentional choices as an opportunity to use us in new ways the fourth key to holy noticing is to see what jesus sees see it was not a given that peter and john We're going to heal this man. It was not even a given that they were going to interact with this man on this day. See, Peter and John, they were probably uh, spiritually mature enough to not say this of themselves, but the fact is is that they were important figures. They were two primary leaders in this, this early movement of people who were trying to follow the way of Jesus, to follow this resurrected rabbi. And so they could have been. Obsessed with their own importance. They could have been content with the work that they had already done with the Lord and just ignored this man completely. They could have just given this man what he actually asked for. They could have given him a little bit of money and not given him a second thought, which is what I'm sure most of the people during that time had done. But these apostles saw what Jesus saw. They saw a deeply loved person who was in need of something that they had access to. In studying this passage in preparation for today, I read a lot of observations from people who are a lot smarter than me. And scholar after scholar points out how similar this event is to how Jesus would operate when he would heal people. So much of what happens here overlaps with the pattern of Jesus when he would heal people during his time on earth. And the first step of all of these events is noticing. Jesus would notice people. He would see their pain he would see what they were going through and he would offer them himself. And so Peter and John learned this from Jesus and they put the same into practice. In verse four, it tells us that they looked at this man intently. I love that so much. Remember before we even read this passage, we stopped to notice how many times throughout it, there were allusions to vision references, to noticing, to seeing, to looking. And of all of them, this one is my favorite. Plenty of people had seen this man over the years. In fact, at the end of this passage, it says that they recognized him as the beggar that they had seen at the gate. He was a familiar face in the community. They had all seen him at some point, but none of them had ever looked intently at him. None of them had seen him with Jesus' eyes. And when the apostles did that, when the apostles looked intently at him, that look changed his life. They did what Jesus did. They noticed his pain. They observed what he was going through and they offered him Jesus. Ruth Haley Barton says this, the practice of paying attention awakens us to what is extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. The extraordinary happens in this story. But before that, before the miracle, there was the simple practice of paying attention. There was holy noticing. Do we do that? Do we notice people with a holy purpose? Do we actually practice paying attention? When we see people around us, do we see nameless faces just going about their day like we are? Or do we see deeply loved people in need of something that we have access to? Do we see what Jesus sees? The last key to holy noticing that I wanna notice together today is that small things make a big difference. Dallas Willard says that the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. And this passage is such a good representation of that. So many moments in this seem so ordinary, so normal, and yet divine activity breaks in and the result is the actual life of God flowing into the here and now. What kind of ordinary things stand out to you in this passage? There's the routine attendance of temple by Peter and John. There's the lame man's routine, his repetition of pain, of being carried to and from the gate every day in order to beg for the means of his survival. There's the simple act of noticing each other from both of these parties. Yet through all of this ordinary, God does the extraordinary. But my favorite small thing in this story is Peter taking the man by the right hand and helping him up. Why did Peter do that? Peter believed that Jesus was gonna heal this man. So why do that extra step of actually helping the man stand up? The answer is that Peter was putting his own faith into action. He could have just spoke the words, He could have just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, stand up. But I think that Peter knew something that we might miss. Peter knew that the power wasn't just in the proclamation. Peter knew the power is in the person. See, there is absolutely power in the name of Jesus. This man was healed by the power of God, but ultimately the source of that power is found in the person of God himself. It's not just a magic formula. It's not just an incantation. It's not just a set of words. It's not just believing the right things that brings about transformation. What brings about transformation is a person. It is the power of God, the person of God. And so how often do we neglect the small things of putting our faith into action because we believe that we have the big things right? We come to church on Sundays, we sing the right songs, we believe the right things, we say the right words, but do we do the small steps of reaching out and taking someone else by the hand? Do we take the small steps of actually putting our faith into action? Our intentions may be good, but our mindset misses what God is actually calling us to do. Jesus's brother James writes that faith without works is dead. May we, like Peter, put our faith to work through small steps and see the big things that God wants to do. So to close, the question is, as it always is, what are we to do with this? How can we put this into practice? And so I want you to buckle your seatbelts and I want you to prepare with me to do a little bit of self-inventory. And so what I want to do is pose a few questions to us, give us a few creative ideas of things that we can do to improve in each of these five areas with the goal of being more present in the moment and more open to the Spirit. First, how can the spiritual disciplines actually help you in holy noticing? See, without practicing prayer or or community attending temple, Peter and John would have never even encountered, encountered this man in the first place. And so what could we be missing out on by neglecting the spiritual disciplines? What could God be looking to accomplish in our lives if all we were to do would be to practice these disciplines? See, I really believe that the spiritual disciplines are the doorway into the good life that Jesus has for us. They have the unique ability to enrich our life with God. And so my prayer is that we would all follow the lead of the Holy Spirit and pray about which one or ones of these spiritual disciplines that we could begin to be more intentional about and put into practice in our life. Second, maybe we need to ask ourselves if we are being swayed by our situation. Ask yourself, what in your life is it that may be keeping you from noticing what's going on around you? What hardship feels so hopeless that it has you ready to bail before the breakthrough? To ask ourselves how ready we are to be obedient to God and used for the miraculous, even in our worst moments. To ask ourselves, are we waiting for our life to be good before we are used by God to do good? Third, I think we need to ask ourselves if we are living slow enough to be interrupted. I think a really helpful way that helps me in this is to ask myself, how do I respond to interruptions? Do I respond to interruptions with anger or do I respond to interruptions with acceptance? Ask ourselves, what situation could we put ourselves in this week to intentionally slow ourselves down and enter into the goodness? of the moment. Maybe for us, it's being intentional about entering into the slow lane at the grocery store. That instead of, you know, doing that thing where you stand in line and you stand there for a minute and you're like, you know what, that line's moving forward. So I jump over to that line. And then as soon as you do that, that next line starts going, you're like, oh man, I don't know how many times you jump back and forth. But what if we just rooted ourselves intentionally in the slow lane? We're present to the world around us. We're present to the people around us. What if we slowed down in that way? What if we intentionally chose situations to slow ourselves down? Ask ourselves, what non-essential thing could we cut back on or cut out completely so that we would have time to focus on the things that really matter, to create enough margin in our life to begin accepting interruptions as blessings? Next, it's always a good idea, I think, to ask ourselves if we are seeing what Jesus sees. To ask ourselves, do we interact or with the checkout employee, or the barista, or the sandwich artist? Do we interact with them as an actual human being, or just a person who's doing a task, and we're just both going about our business and trying to get through this as fast as we can? Do we look intently at the people that are created in the image of God that surround us on a daily basis? Do we, like Jesus in Matthew nine thirty six, look at people with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd? Or do we take the easy way out and just go on about our business and ignore them? Lastly, do you honor the small things in your life knowing that they make a big difference? What small thing in your life might you be writing off that is actually cutting off the flow of the life of God into our world? Maybe a good practice for you in this one would be setting a goal of blessing one person a day, maybe make it even easier, one person a week, just blessing one person in some small way throughout your life. Begin to look for creative ways to put into practice the kingdom concept of the mustard seed, that though it's the smallest seed, it grows into the biggest of trees. So if you're anything like me, hearing these questions and taking an honest inventory of your own heart and your own life can be discouraging. You hear all of this and all you hear is is how much you're getting it wrong, how much room there is to improve, and that recognition can be discouraging. But imagine if we got it right. Imagine a church full of people who are practicing the spiritual disciplines, who are unswayed by their situation, who are living slow and seeing people the way that Jesus sees them, who are honoring the small things because we know that they make a big difference. The result of our community living this out would be the same result that we see at the end of this passage. A man's life was changed forever. And because of that, the community was absolutely astounded. May we, Movement Church, be a community that is used by God to bring about life change in individuals that leads to absolute astonishment in Las Cruces and ultimately growth in the kingdom of God. And may we do that by intentionally slowing down and noticing with a holy purpose the people around us and the things that God wants to do in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for these apostles who practiced holy noticing, who slowed down enough, who weren't swayed by their situation, who saw how you see and who saw the small things that could make a big difference. We thank you for all of these things working together and that the result of that was that this man's life was changed. And we pray for the same result in our life. I pray that you would begin to reveal to us the things in our life that we haven't been noticing, And so we thank you that you wanna partner with us, that we play an active role in bringing your kingdom to earth, that your kingdom would come in Las Cruces, in our community, in wherever we are, that we would play a role in that. And we thank you that you equip us for that. And we thank you that you give us the strength to do that. And so I pray that you would open our eyes this week to the world around us and the things that you have for us. We thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. And it's in your holy name we pray, amen.